get back to my timer? Yeah, I want to have the clock prominent. Yeah. So. Oh, well, there. Yeah, that's it. Well, do you want a stopwatch? Well. Would you just want your clock? No, just with the clock. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Thanks. So this will probably shut off periodically. I so put it on. To, I put oh, it on like, never. Never. Yeah. Gotcha, dude. Hey, so did you? Yo, you hit this already. Yeah, it's recording. Okay, it's okay. picking up everything we're saying right now. <laughs> Okay, let's go ahead and start. Did you find a seat? Hey, two things to uh, mention, or one thing for sure, is that we will publish a recording of this as well as the manuscripts. So uh, if you don't want to worry about taking notes, both the manuscript and the recording will be made available to the whole church. So uh, you'll have an opportunity to reflect more on this. Secondly, I wanted to say that I, a couple years ago, Louise and I took a uh, uh, traveled to the middle of Europe and had a chance to go to Bavaria, which is where my parent, uh, my ancestors are from. Uh, my ancestors were Anabaptists, and uh, and they came from Bavaria, which is southwest Germany. And they fled, my ancestors fled because of persecution. They fled to Switzerland, then went back to Germany, then eventually left Germany. And when we arrived in Passau, we were uh, along the, the uh, Danube River, uh, there was a, a large 14th, 15th century castle on the other side of the river. And the, the tour guide told us that it had been used for a variety of things, including a prison in the 1500s imprisoning Anabaptists. Oh. This really stirred my heart to think about that that could have been my ancestors or it could have been people that my ancestors knew who were imprisoned there. So that was really, really interesting. And I, so, I, again, because I've been thinking about this for quite a while, I was tracking with everything that Nick said, and now it feels to me a little bit like this is hodgepodge. Yeah. Like this is drawn from a lot of uh, different yeah. traditions, so that's sort of who we are right now. And I have to live with that, but. Okay, let me get started on my, my presentation. So we do have political polarization before us like never before. These are challenging times, and it's challenging for churches. Political differences slice through churches as they do through the culture. I keep up on happenings in the church in Asia. Right now, because of the protests in Hong Kong against mainland China, there has been conflict in the churches in Taiwan and Hong Kong. They find they are split right down the middle on whether to support or condemn the protest. In mainland China as well, there is sharp disagreement in the church in relation to the Communist Party and government. The recent pastor jailed for nine years from Guangzhou, I'm sure many of you heard of his story, Wang Yi, 
of the early Reign Covenant Church was an outspoken critic of the Communist Party. Many other pastors, including our partners, have sharply disagreed with his approach. All over the world, these are trying times that elicit sharp disagreements. In our own country, when Christianity Today supported President Trump's impeachment, it created an incredibly intense debate in the Christian community that spilled over to the secular world. It's vital in these days when our unity is tested that we remember Jesus' words to love one another. Our elders retreat last weekend included a discussion on this topic, and it elicited some strong, intense disagreement, as it has before. Now, ironically, a few of the strongest voices found themselves driving back together in the same car. <laughs> and this is God is my witness. Their first words when getting in were, I love you, brother, said to one another. And it was spoken genuinely from the heart. And I urge you to follow that example. Now, a few more things before I dig into the actual presentation. I am seeking to represent our elders as best I can. But without a doubt, if one of them was doing the presentation, some other elements are a slight turn on emphasis would certainly emerge. You are free to ask any elder their view on these issues, and they are free to share it, including differences with my presentation. Now keep in mind, however, they may decline to tell you who they are voting for. This has been a common practice for many pastors who are cautious about exercising undue influence and wary of compromising the church's mission. Now something else by way of introduction. Determining our posture towards the government presents a challenge in accurately interpreting scripture. I'd like you to look at this image with me. This comes from a book we've used in our accelerant class called Grasping God's Word. Now, the basic function of interpreting scripture is first determining what the message meant to its original audience. What did the Bible mean to those to whom it was first given to? This is illustrated by the ancient town on the left. Those are the people who received the <coughs> messages recorded in the, originally from the Bible. Now the Bible came to people groups living in a specific time and a specific place. And to interpret properly, we have to cross a bridge into our new town, pictured here on the right. Now this presents a challenge to interpret the Bible because so much of the situation of the original audience is different than ours. Those differences are represented by the river that is separating the two towns. And you see the examples of the differences. Difference in culture, difference in language, difference in time, situation. Old covenant or new covenant makes a difference. To cross over from the ancient town to the new town, we need a bridge. And those bridge are the principles, we call this a principalizing bridge. They are the principles we lift from scripture that we believe are universal. 
They transcend time and place. This is the work of biblical interpretation. So in understanding the Bible, we're looking for these principles. When it comes to the political arena, we have a challenging bridge to cross. The Old Testament was a theocracy, a God-centered, Old Testament law-centered, political, religious fusion of Yahweh and the nation of Israel. We live in something far different, <laughs> a pluralistic, secular culture, a nation largely founded actually on the separation of church and state, which if you trace the lineage of that, it goes back to Anabaptist history. Anabaptists were really, in many ways, the first to separate from the state, which was the same as the church. Really, in that, the very seeds of democracy were being sown. So when we think about applying the Old Testament, we cannot ignore these fundamentally differing realities. By the time we get to the New Testament, the Roman Republic had deteriorated to the Roman Imperium, meaning a virtual dictatorship. It was not a democracy. Paul could not address voting or how church should encourage their people to vote because that right did not exist. These differences in the Old Testament and from the New Testament to our world means that we must seek to do our best to look for principles on what God wants us to do today. And because we are crossing a pretty wide river, it is important to maintain a position of humility and not to over-dogmatize as we seek to try to, again, to venture out and try to apply the scripture. Now, one reason I bring this up is that there is a dynamic, a dynamic, play, this dynamic, this dynamic of the challenge of interpretation, this plays a part on why believers who love God, who read the same Bible, who share many of the same values, including things like being pro-life or promoting the sanctity of marriage, still disagree so vigorously on the relationship between the, between the church and politics. It relates partly to the challenge of how to interpret scripture. Okay, so with those introductions, there are four things I wanna to do tonight. I wanna to first define what is politics? Secondly, what we as a church do or do not do in relation to politics. Thirdly, attitudes we ask members to adopt to protect our unity. And fourthly, factors we encourage you to consider when voting. Okay? That's, that's the outline. Here's number one. What is politics? The ancient Greek philosopher said the first thing needed in discussions or debates was a definition of terms. Right? So I want you to think about what politics is. I think we had this, Nick, don't we? Yeah. Politics is a multi-party system. Politics, I'm sorry, in a multi-party system is complex because it seeks to balance differing visions of the good, weigh competing values, involves compromise and trade-offs, and then arrive at specific policies. The process of getting the process of getting to that final legislation has been likened to making sausage. 
meaning it is a dirty backroom process that we would prefer not to know about or to observe. Politics will never be like the movie Dave, if you remember that movie featuring a selfless, idealized president who just wants to get things done for the people. It'll never be like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. We have these idealistic pictures of politicians and politics and forget that politics can be dirty business. Even Abraham Lincoln, who I believe was a man of integrity and our greatest president, was also a very savvy politician. Even our founders, in order to bring into formation a centralized government, when the Articles of Confederation were failing, had to make incredible compromises, literally kicking the can down the road on slavery and freedom for millions of blacks because they had to have the Southern vote in order to pass the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So they made incredible compromises in order to do that. Now, why is this relevant? Why am I saying this? Because I think the process of politics should, the process of politics should remind us of the need to have degrees of separation from the church. We believe the church should maintain a prophetic posture towards the government, okay? So that we're able to speak prophetically. Now, a few related things to what Nick shared real briefly here. Number one, our hope is not in the government. 1 Peter 1.13, we are to set our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. Secondly, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, our primary focus on righteousness and justice is within the church. That's where we begin. We talk about justice and talk about social issues and talk about the things that we're you know, wrestling with. Our primary focus <coughs> begins within the church because Jesus said we are to be a light to the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our witness to the world will be undermined if we call out evil, and yet it flourishes in our own churches. So we begin with the church. And then finally, therefore, we do not put our ultimate trust in government leaders. Psalms 146.3 do not trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. So we don't ascribe some kind of messianic power to political leaders. Okay, so that's number one. What is, just again, what is politics? It's a healthy look at what politics is. Secondly, related to this, now the church corporate. This now, I'm going to get into more of the nitty gritty <laughs> of what our church does and doesn't do related to politics. So again, we're simply trying to get out a little bit ahead of this so our church understands more what our thinking as pastors is. Number one, we do not endorse candidates. And uh, unlike what some members of our church thought, this is not a legal issue. It is a mission issue. I mean, it is a legal issue. We're not under 501c3 
uh, uh, dictates not to endorse candidates, but that is not why we don't do it. We do not endorse candidates, prim candidates primarily because that is not central to our mission. Our central mission is in Matthew 28, 18 and 20, to go and make disciples of all the nations. That is why we exist. We preach Jesus and the kingdom of God. We believe to endorse a candidate could cloud or potentially distort our vision. Both parties, broadly speaking, are also preaching a kingdom. It's very important to understand. Both parties preach a kingdom. A kingdom is simply a vision of the good. There is a Republican vision of the good, and there is a Democratic vision of the good. Uh, to begin to endorse a candidate begins to, I think, create confusion and conflates those visions. Now, their vision of the good, the parties, Democratic and Republican parties, their vision of the good sometimes overlaps with the kingdom of God. But they are certainly not the same as Jesus' vision of the good. In our highly politicized culture, believers can easily confuse Jesus' kingdom with the one that the parties are preaching. Secondly, we do not endorse or closely align with any political party. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth. We are here to preserve culture, to expose evil, to affirm the good. And as we live out our faith, making others thirsty for the gospel, this is what it means when we're the salt of the earth. We can be a conscience to our culture if we live holy lives. But it is important that we remain in a prophetic posture, separate, able to clearly see each party's vision of the good, affirming what is right, and exposing what is evil. To be overly aligned will make us blind to that particular party's weaknesses. That's what we want to avoid. Secondly, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, Paul articulated this principle that in order to see the most saved, he sought to remove any unnecessary stumbling block from preventing people from coming to Jesus. Prevent any unnecessary stumbling block. Our ministry is to conservatives and liberals, Republicans and Democrats, people of color and Anglos. We welcome them to come to hear the gospel, to come and hear the gospel, an identification with or overly aligning with either party can create a block to people feeling welcome and invited to our church. Now, one other thing I'll mention with this is that there's something that a, a British ethics uh, uh, individual, he called it package deal ethics. And I'm sure you feel well aware of this. That is, is that in package deal ethics, political parties... When you come into that party and come in on one issue, they begin to insist that you align with them on every issue. Package deal. So no longer can you sort of have just one issue that you believe in. The party begins to put pressure on you. The party begins to insist that you take their whole package. And again, as Christians, we must stay removed from that so that we see the issues through this lens, not through the lens 
of the party and their pundits and their various news stations that preach every day their vision of the good. We have to see through this. And that means that there's going to be things that we're going to criticize on one party as well as the other party. It's a prophetic posture. Now the next point provides a balance to what I just said, okay? So, so you got to kind of hear the whole thing. The next point provides a balance. I've just emphasized the go portion of our mission to go and make disciples. But we also have to make, right? Therefore, we do preach on political topics that overlap with scriptures regardless of their controversial nature. So when we're preaching and we come to a controversial political topic, we preach on it. And we preach to our best understanding what the Bible says. Acts 20, 27, Paul said, I did not hold back when preaching to you the whole counsel of God. And believe me, that causes us pastors to fear and to tremble at that. For example, when we come to pro-life issues, our care for the foreigner, or the immigrant, or the nature of marriage, or racial harmony, when we come to these hot button topics in the Bible that overlap with politics, we will share what we believe the Bible teaches. We will share our conviction. We, sh we'll, we will share it not for political persuasion, but because we want to see Jesus Christ formed in us. Some things we share will challenge and, and, and or offend true conservatives. Some things we share will challenge and or offend true liberals, and they may leave our church. And in that moment, they may not feel very welcome. <laughs> so this is the tension that we live under as pastors and as leaders, church leaders. This is the tension, and that's okay. It's the tension of going and making and trusting Christ in the end. Okay? Next point. This is a do. We do encourage you. We do encourage you to advocate and defend the scriptures, to affirm the good, to expose evil or injustice in whatever form. Not just voting, but in whatever form you can enter with faith and a clear conscience. Ephesians 5.8, live as children of light. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay. Next one. This one will require a little bit of explanation. We do encourage you to exercise faith and a clear conscience in determining how you will engage the political process, all the while respecting those who have differing convictions. Okay? Now, explain Romans 14. Romans 14 is a chapter in the Bible, very important, that helps Christians work through and respond to debatable issues. Now, the majority of elders believe that in this area, let me see what I said. I'm trying, uh, I lost my track here. Oh, I oh, got it. Okay. So the majority of our elders here, Linworth elders, believe in this area of how the church should relate to politics is one where believers who love Jesus, prize the scriptures of God's word, share many of the same beliefs, can still differ widely on the role that the church should play and the individual responsibility of every believer. 
We recognize there are lots of different convictions, including if I should vote or how I should vote. There are within our church differing convictions in those things. And we believe those convictions and that conscience should be respected. Now, Romans 14, 23, Paul says here in conclusion to this passage, he says that everything that does not come from faith is sin. So it means that every individual Christian is required to act on their individual conscience when it comes to these debatable issues. So that means that, th that when we consider a debatable area, each individual should act in faith in what they believe pleases the Lord, including this political area. They, uh, um, this they should act on the dictates of their conscience. Now this implies that those who have strong views in a debatable area should not pressure others into conforming. And it also means that those feeling pressured should not be moved from what their conscience dictates or be dissuaded. This respect for conscience, this understanding of a grace-filled environment will help Linworth. It'll help us navigate the choppy waters of this upcoming election season. Okay, that's a, quite a bit there. I'd be happy to go back on that when, when we get to our Q&A. One more thing here. Again, kind of a balance to what I just shared. Lastly, we do not discourage the sharing of individual political opinion, discussion, and debate, as long as it is done with the greatest measure of civility and respect. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to be thankful. This is the balance. We are not seeking to emasculate you or say, don't have an opinion or don't express it. These are important, vital issues facing us. But it is important that we bear up with one another in love through our differences. Our unity as believers, anchored in our spiritual identity as citizens of heaven, according to John 17, is of far more significance than our political unity. Far more significance. Okay? All right, let's go to the next section. So we've done so far, what is politics? And then I just gave you about five or six things there to help define what we do and what we don't do as a church. Thirdly, attitudes now that we ask members to adopt to protect our unity. So as we move into this, what will be a very volatile election season, undoubtedly. It's already, already volatile. How can we stay connected, united, together as a body? Here are the attitudes that we want us to adopt. Number one, see political issues not merely through the prism of power, but as human issues affecting real lives. And I wrote down Romans 12, too, there as a scripture. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see this all the time. For so many people who are more politically driven, issues are not about human beings. They're not about human issues affecting real lives. It's all about solidifying political power. We must not fall into that trap. We need to see people as individuals. Remember when Jesus pulled the deaf and mute man away from the crowd in order to heal him. Remember him ministering to the thief on the cross 
amidst the crowd. Our culture, our news, increasingly sees everything as how does it promote or how does it hurt our political party? How does it hurt or how does it increase our political aspirations? As Christians, we cannot be molded by that destructive power-based thinking. Secondly, similar. See those you disagree with, politically not as enemies, but as individuals made in the image of God. Reflect that respect for life in all personal and media interactions. Genesis 1.27 says, as Nick said, we're all made in God's image, and therefore we all have a basis for dignity and worth, and we should treat one another in that way. And even if a person's position, even if their political position does directly threaten me, such that they are a real enemy, Jesus still calls me to love them and to not retaliate in kind. Thirdly, just in general, no scripture here, avoid overgeneralizations and unfair characterizations of those with whom you disagree. Okay? See it all the time, don't we? Instagram, Facebook posts, so many unfair overgeneralizations, unfair characterizations made of people that are political opponents as Christians. I just urge you not to do that. I just urge you not to do that. Fourthly, avoid characterizations of politicians that are sensationalized, unfounded, and slanderous. Be wise to the ways of the world. Hmm. What I mean there is that so much that goes, so much of what goes for news are half, are half truths. They are sensationalized headlines, or they are clickbait to satisfy advertisers. Be wise to the ways of the world. Um, Proverbs Psalm 15, uh, which asks the question, what are the requirements of those who may dwell in God's sanctuary? Verse 3 includes those who have no slander on their tongues and cast no slur on others. As a believer, here's a chance where we can be different. Here's a chance where we can stand out in this way. Next, recognize, this is similar, very similar, Nick, to what you shared. Recognize that you possess life-shaping experiences that impact both your political beliefs and how you prioritize them. Okay? You, you have life-shaping experiences that have affected both your beliefs and which ones you say are the most important. When discussing politics with others not shaped by the same experiences, for example, generational differences, racial differences, or upbringing differences, we urge you first to listen for understanding before reacting or seeking to persuade. So when you interact politically with someone who is different, different race, different generation, different upbringing, recognize they have had a whole different world of life-shaping experiences that affects their <coughs> political views. I'm not asking you to change your views. Please realize what I said. I'm just asking you to first Listen for understanding. Seek to understand <coughs> first before reacting or before you start, you know, trying to get them to change their position. Okay? It's, again, it's a servant. It's a servant's way of viewing life and service mentality. 
And then lastly, on this point, recognize, please, that these aforementioned differences, generational, racial, upbringing, exist inside of Linworth. And so don't assume your brother or sister shares your formative experiences and shares your viewpoint. Okay? This is where we get into a little bit of trouble here, mm -hmm. is when we begin to assume that we're all kind of, and it, by the way, it's been, it's been this way for a long time. This is not recent. It's been this way for a long time. And certainly at different points, people have been deeply offended in our church. Because we just assume we were all one big monolithic group. We've not been for a long time. And so I would encourage you to, again, not assume. All right, last section, moving along. Number four. So if by faith and my conscience, I believe that voting is the right way for me to engage, how do I think about that? How do I think about voting? Let me mention a few things here to guide us in this. I would say if you participate, again, think big picture why you are voting. Why are you doing this? Christians find a theological ground to vote. And again, this would not be the next point. This would not be as much in the Anabaptist camp, but in the other camps. And you can chime in here, Nick, if you know more, but Christians find a theological ground to vote in the principles of loving your neighbor. This is a way to extend love and justice to my neighbor. The Bible does teach that, I mean, all over Proverbs, the Bible teaches that righteousness and justice produces human flourishing. And therefore, if I enter the voting booth as a Christian and vote through that prism, I am seeking to nurture and encourage and bring about human flourishing. Seeking to please God, seeking to raise my voice on real issues and affirm principles that the Bible supports. So this is the theological ground for folks that enter into that voting as a thinking as a believer. But again, I want to say here in balance, we recognize conscience comes into play here with voting. Some may choose not to vote. Uh, uh, others may choose not to vote in certain contests when they believe a vote for either alternative is a compromise to their faith. Okay? Again, they may have a more of an Anabaptist persuasion with respect to the relationship of church and state. Or finally, Nick, you didn't really get into this, but you've talked about this. Finally, and for many millennial believers, many millennial believers have a totally different playbook in mind. As they think about how Jesus brings about social change, uh, and as they think about how Christians have moved into a minority setting, they are not persuaded by the playbook that was many of us older grew up on that was presented in the 70s and 80s. It's not that they don't feel as fiercely about the same issues. They may be as fiercely pro-life, or they may be as fiercely for the sanctity of marriage, but they're not persuaded that the playbook that many of us grew up on is the right biblical playbook. Okay, that makes sense to you? So again, you just, again, as, you, as I've interacted over really a long process with 
many different kinds of people outside of my particular world, whether age or whether race, or people just raised in different parts of the country or world, you realize that people that love Christ, that have many of the same values, just look at the political process much differently. Okay? All right. Uh, what else was I going to say about that? Yeah, so we're urging you to act on faith. We're urging you to act on conscience and allow others to do the same. Is a, is a simple way to say that. Again, we aim for a grace-filled church through this election season. Okay, a couple other things. Uh, we, let's see. One before that, Nick. We encourage you to pray for wisdom and ask Christ to lead you. James 1.6, anyone who lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously without fault. So if you're going to vote, pray. Ask God for wisdom. Secondly, we encourage you to give high regard to the weak and powerless. Did you think about if you're going to voting? Who will judge them fairly? And for example, here we're thinking about the unborn, the poor, the elderly, the immigrant. When we, again, try to find some principles to help us, a couple of scriptures are very helpful. Psalm 72, for example, describes the ideal king, the ideal government leader. And of course, it's ultimately fulfilled by the Messiah. But there are principles we can mine here that perhaps are helpful to us. And they're reinforced by other scriptures. In Psalm 72, this king defends the afflicted of the people. He saves the children of the needy. He crushes the oppressor. He takes pity on the weak and needy. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. Again, Proverbs 28.3 talks about the, the ruler who does not have a heart for the poor, who does not seek justice for the poor. And again, that's just how, how that's just not biblical and scriptural. So this is a, a value we would urge you to think about, from the unborn, to the elderly, to infants, to the poor, to the elderly, those that are weak, without a voice. Secondly, or I think whatever no, number I'm on, forget the numbers. <laughs> We encourage you to weigh the character of the candidate. Proverbs 28.2, a ruler with discernment and knowledge maintains order. Proverbs 28.12, when the righteous triumph, there is great elation. But when the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. Now, let me say about this one, which has been, you know, every time we've given some little mini talk on election for the last 20 plus years, this has been here. Encourage you to weigh the character of the individual. Undoubtedly, in recent presidential elections, this is becoming increasingly harder. And if you do vote for president, you may find, vote for the president, vote for a president, you may find yourself struggling to weigh this issue and to prioritize amongst all the other issues that you're weighing. Uh, we have to say this is certainly not an open and shut case, but what we are saying is that it has to be on your scale, somewhere on your scale of priorities. We simply cannot, as Christians, we cannot stop saying this is important. Okay, even though we've been terribly disappointed from both sides of the aisle, we cannot ignore this and say it does not matter at all. Next, we encourage you to consider the purpose of government. According to Romans 13, another aspect of the government here, namely to affirm right, this is what Romans 13, 
one through four says, namely to affirm right, restrain and punish evil, and promote peace. So here, consider which candidate will most effectively protect all people without discrimination at home and abroad from evil people and evil governmental leaders. Okay. <coughs> thank John Hopper for that one. I think I just, John, thank you. Credit, I, that's, word for, that's word for word from John, but I, I do, I think that's an application. Romans 13, one through four is a very clear New Testament verse on the purposes, purpose of government. So again, that's a consideration. We encourage you next to look at issues and party platforms through the filter of scripture. So look not only at the candidate, but look at party platforms, all right? Proverbs 11.10 says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. There are many important issues. And I've already talked about issues um, that, uh, did, I say, did I say all that? I said it all, right? I got a little lost here. Look at, uh, I got kind of stuck on the party platform, but the emphasis here was, look at all these things through the prism of scripture. Okay, that, that, that's our guiding anchor. Look at them through scripture. Now, I've already talked about issues that overlap with the Bible, like care for the needy. Again, the unborn, care for the foreigner, and so forth. And there are other issues that are also articulated in the Bible that are important for us. Uh, there are issues like religious liberty is an important issue. 1 Timothy 2 speaks to the importance of that. There are economic issues, like balancing domestic needs with defense spending. Ask the question, what budgetary values are reflected in party commitments and party platforms? How does that align with the kingdom of God, with Jesus' vision of the good? Uh, again, we've mentioned sanctity of marriage is an important issue to think about and to weigh. How do all these issues align? How do they weigh with the values of the kingdom of God? These are things important for you to study, to think about, to pray, to talk with uh, 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 more mature Christians, to, to watch the news from a variety of sources so that you're getting a balanced picture. And finally, I, I, I've kind of hinted on this already, but I, I, I want to, because I wrote this, I want to make sure I say everything that I want to. Finally, it's healthy to look outside of our bubble. I, I would encourage you to look outside of the bubble that we're in. Again, we are a white, largely white, largely white evangelical suburban church. And that is a bubble. And I, I want to encourage, and there's nothing wrong with being in that bubble. You shouldn't feel guilty about being in that bubble. It's, it's just where you are. But it's helpful and it's sharpening to understand the world outside of us. And for example, I, I think of our urban black brothers and sisters who, uh, different color, uh, different upbringing, live in a different kind of world. You know, many of them love Jesus. They love the scriptures. They share our values for the unborn and the sanctity of marriage. Yet also for many of them, there are other issues, issues like health care, issues like criminal reform that are real to them every day. Those issues are real to them every day, and they are real to them in a way that are not real to many of us. Another issue is economic justice. I don't know a better way to say it. Economic justice is important to many of our urban 
black brothers and sisters. What I mean by that is they would like to see the same kind of government investments made in other parts of the city made in their part of the city. <coughs> so again, I, just, I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to, if you have the opportunity again to interact with a, uh, an evangelical millennial uh, here in our own church or interact with a person of color, uh, again, interact with a person from a, a, a very rural upbringing or a very urban upbringing, these things can only help to sharpen what we believe and why we believe, why we believe it again. I'm not suggesting you abandon what you believe. I'm just saying that it's helpful to understand where others are coming from. You know, uh, I asked my daughter about this who attends Hope City. Hope City is a largely African-American church. Uh, Pastor Brian there is very outspoken on pro-life issues, very outspoken on uh, sanctity of marriage. And uh, yet these issues, uh, Jesse tells me health care is certainly very important to uh, many of those people. Uh, also, immigration is very important to them. As Nick mentioned, uh, the black community has a very tender heart towards those who've been marginalized. And immigration is a very important issue to them. So again, some of you may feel like you're struggling to know how to vote. Know that your black brothers and sisters are also struggling to know. Jesse said, yeah, she said, yeah, a lot of them are going to struggle to know how to vote given these sort of competing competing systems. We encourage you to be aware that when voting for a president, actually John helped me with this one as well, and John, I found a couple verses here from Proverbs that really supplant this, or uh, ground it. We encourage you to be aware that when voting for a president, you are voting for a coalition. But keep that in mind. You're voting for a president, you're really voting for a coalition of people. These Proverbs show that leaders are affected by those they surround themselves with, and vice versa. Okay. All right. Lastly, a couple more yet. We encourage you to look beyond the rhetoric of the candidates to their specific actions and actual votes. So, yeah, you've heard all these Mike Bloomberg ads every day. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Listen, listen, they all have their rhetoric. They all have their spin. Look past that. Look past it. Look to the actual voting records, or in that case, a professional. Well, he, he was a politician. But if it's a person like Trump, look at their professional record. Again, weigh not what they say, weigh what they do. What is it? One proverb says, you, you know a child by their actions. I think Proverbs, uh, yeah, it's good. good, good it's, it's an obvious principle. We, uh, we encourage, lastly, we encourage you to participate in local elections, which are arguably just as important. So if you're... God's leading you to vote. God's leading you to be involved. You see it as being a way to love your neighbor. You see it as being a way to, uh, to, to, to bring about flourishing, to be a conscience to our, to our, uh, our world. Uh, be aware that local elections are often, arguably, just as important as national elections. And I forgot, to, Nick, I, I lost this one, but I, I, I had one last point on here, and I, that was to... Keep disciple-making the focus. <laughs> so we walk out of this room, and maybe you haven't liked what I've shared or liked what Nick shared, and, and that's okay. It, re it really is, though we do, of course, ask you to respect one another. But, um, but really, the pastors, we, we've had some you know, sharp conversations and trying to work through what we all think on this, but you know, we're going to walk away here, and 95% of our time is going to be spent on making disciples. 
That's our focus. That's our mission. And uh, so we encourage you to do the same. All right. Questions and comments and feedback. And what, what sort of things can I clarify? Or we already disagree? Or, you know, how, how can I clarify something that was confusing? What would you like to challenge? Um, I'll join you so you don't feel so alone. Yeah. Whose <laughs> <laughs> side are you on? <laughs> Can you just tell us who to vote for? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Heron told me to ask that. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Seriously, what, what can we clarify? What would you like to say? Where, where do you think, uh, Chris, I just don't know where you're coming from there. And again, see, remember, go, Nick, go back to that slide, if you would, the very first slide. And keep in mind, Remember, we're trying to apply principles, which is a really difficult task. And so, see, we sharpen one another in this. Which, what that means is we're always growing. It means that we don't have it all perfectly figured out. We're, we're, we're trying to do our best, but it means that we, we continually want to be sharpened as we think about these things, because it's really difficult moving from the Old and New Testament to try to figure out how do we as Christians meaningfully engage with the state. Um, and apply the scriptures in, a, in, a, in, a, in an accurate and in a meaningful way. So, yeah, John? I was thinking about something, how you mentioned principles. Um, there's an interesting story in Acts 15 where the church was kind of divided and they came to, on the circumcision issue, and they came to an agreement on some principles. Later on, the end of the chapter, oh, at the end of the chapter of Acts um, 15, Paul and Barnabas, who were very close, who were a team together, they had a disagreement on a person. And I thought about this, how they were they couldn't come to an agreement on whether this person was going to be on the team. And I was thinking that's probably a good picture of what's going on in politics. Mm -hmm. That we have a hard time deciding who's going to be the right person. It gets very complicated because you're balancing principles. Mm -hmm. Paul said, yes, uh, I want to be compassionate, but he wasn't faithful. You know. Barnabas, well, yeah, he wasn't faithful, but we need to be compassionate. Yeah. And so what happens is we're dealing with these issues and principles and selecting not a believer, but oftentimes unbelievers. Of course, there's going to be disagreements. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple comments. It seems like too often these days people vote against somebody instead of for somebody and I don't think that's good but you got two evils people feel like you've got to vote for one of them I do third party a lot I know a lot of people say it's wasted but I, I feel better that way yeah and um, and the other thing is earlier in your talk you were talking about debatable issues and that can be debated. What is a debatable? Yes, it's very perceptive. It's very perceptive, and, and really, it, that maybe is kind of the foundational challenge we have sometimes is determining what is the debatable issue, and I, I that's very perceptive. Yeah, Victoria. Yeah. So what Nick said earlier stuck with me about how maybe we all have had influences that have shaped us. We don't really. Christ to come first, but sometimes it's, it's hard. What wisdom do you have, or I guess advice, um, 
when those topics come up and you want to encourage critical thinking and maybe not your own view. You know, I, especially with millennials, because I feel mm. like I feel like it's really split. It's either one way or the other, and it's so hard to you immediately want to kind of state your own opinion, but you also want you want us to have like a middle ground or I guess a compromise of views. So how do you do that when you're in a leadership position? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking of how scary it is to think of people I've influenced at different points in my life. Like, if you would have caught me in my early 20s, I was listening to a lot of Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh in my early 20s. <laughs> my mid-20s, I was starting to listen to a lot of NPR and BBC news, and now I don't really listen to the news. So, all that to say, depending on when I was discipling you, if, if I, maybe I was doing a lot of influencing, I don't know. But that really, that, I don't, maybe you're all not as wishy-washy as me, but you should at least consider that, that that, I, I don't know, I think that that's a good thought, that that's how we should be thinking. How do we not um, overly influence people in some of these areas that are more of a Romans 14 area, right? I mean, we're talking about the deity of Christ, like you go for it, like you go all out, you die on that hill. If it's one of these topics, I think, I think you should be considerate when you are, Discipling, particularly when you know that it's someone who is looking to you for wisdom, for discernment, I think as best as you can, just try to expose them to a, a variety of, of views and say, and be upfront about it. Say, you know what? Christians disagree on this. Here's what some believers think. Here's what other believers think. Here's what I personally think. What do you think? You look at it and, and, and you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the only other thing I would say, Victoria, on that is if you could... I mean, there certainly is a, a way of helping a person that you're mentoring go to the scriptures on some of these issues. Again, as a church, there are some things that we've taken solid positions on that do overlap with, uh, that overlap with um, uh, political issues. And, you know, as we describe this, when we're discussing this as elders, like there are things that we would rebuke you for that have, say, you know, that have implications to the political world. So, for example, you know, it's, uh, we define abortion as wrong. We define abortion as sin. And so, you know, part of discipleship could be taking, not telling them how to vote, not like separating who you're going to vote for, but taking a person through the word to see the principles that we, that are here that develop a pro-life ethic. Again, but separating it from who you vote for, but beginning with seeing and developing a Christian worldview. I would think that if there's someone I'm mentoring, I want to help them do that. Now, on some other issues, like again, we, we describe this. As a church, we believe strongly that we should care for the immigrant who is here. Um, uh, Sharon Pendergrass tells a great story uh, one day when she was in Kroger's and she watched this thing happen where the woman who was the, uh, the cashier, I think was Muslim by her dress and the individual uh, that was in line, she was a couple back, this individual got mad with her, got mad at her, I forget for why, if it was slow or whatever, and told her, you don't belong here, you need to go home. 
When Sharon got there, again, she's an African-American woman. She's sensitive to the needs of those who feel oppressed and the needs of the marginalized. She rebuked that woman. And she said, she said, if I ever hear something like that again, I am going to your manager and I'm going to let them know. And she just rebuked her. By the way, there was a Chinese man in between them too, so he was also kind of caught in that same deal. And, um, and I, we would agree with that. Like if one of you, you know, we, this, this doesn't, ha doesn't happen here. This church has been unbelievably amazing in our outreach to refugees, beginning with the Malaris and then moving to the, the, um, uh, uh, the, the Gerards and now Jose and Mila. And um, so, so our church has no problem with this. But, you know, if someone in our church said to Jose or Mila, uh, you don't really belong here, we would rebuke you. We would tell you that is not right. That is wrong. Now, so, however, and this is where there's some discerning, that's different than talking about quotas and borders and other things that involve wisdom, it involves uh, judgment, it involves, you know, uh, you know, it involves a lot of things. Now, we would like all those people making decisions to make compassionate, Christ-centered decisions, but we recognize they've got to weigh a lot of things. This is more gray. This is wisdom. This is harder to define. This is right or wrong, just like with the abortion issue, or the sanctity of marriage, or serving the poor. Serving the poor is a biblical mandate. You know, helping the foreigners, a biblical mandate. We think to, you know, not end life in the womb is a biblical mandate. We believe that sanctity of marriage is a biblical mandate. So what I would do is I would not so much, like, try to persuade them to vote a different way or to, you know, but I would try to, as issues come up, I would try to take them through the scriptures to help define what is right and wrong, and then realize that some of the policy, some of the policy expressions of those are really far more debatable, and they're really harder to define, the actual, some of the policy issues, where the, the things we can say scripturally, we can be really strong on. Those I would be strong on. So, but I, I would try not to persuade them to vote a certain way. I would, I would begin with how to think from a Christian worldview. Al? I hear you saying, uh, as a Christian, rebuking another Christian is something that's consistent with the leader level. But to say that a Christian would rebuke a non-Christian, I think there's a very judgmental attitude there that would be very hard to Yes, Alan, except in Sharon's case. <laughs> I would say in Sharon's case, that was standing up for justice. I, 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 would, I would affirm what she did. But I hear, Alan. Well, I assumed you were, you, your rebuke was yes. scripture. The only reason I said that, I, it, I, I, I used a little bit of hyperbole. It was hyperbole. It was hyperbole to explain that in these issues, there are some definite rights and wrongs. So like, an, like if, if you come to me and we have a discussion about, about you know, what should, what about the board, about uh, open borders. So, you know, you and I could have a discussion on open borders 
And I don't think I don't think I should rebuke you for what you believe about open borders and vice versa. Because it's debatable, it's there's a lot of things involved in it. It's harder to come to a definite conclusion. So I was just using hyperbole, Alan, to describe the kinds of things that like our definite rights model. I agree with you. I would not encourage you to go around rebuking non-believers. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a case like Sharon, which I, I'm sure we agree on. So thank but thank you, Alan. Thank you for clarifying that. That's helpful. Yeah. Ben Ben and Ben. And ben. Um, so you're talking about the past from China that got sent to prison. Yeah. And that was what was that was that for an unregistered church or was that about the surveillance cameras? Do you know? And I was just curious why the people you said that we partnered with, why they disagree with what you did, if you knew more about that. So their basic argument, Ben, is that that pastor is too political. So he's, a very, he's really in prison because he was an outspoken critic of the Communist Party. Now his defense is that he's standing for righteousness. He's standing for justice. So you can see both sides of it. You can certainly see both sides. And even in my sharing it, Ben, I was not taking a side. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, I'm not sure what the reports have said, but internally we know he has been a long time outspoken critic of the Communist Party. And if you do that over time, you will end up in jail. You'll end up if you, and if you're a leader, you'll end up in prison. So, did that answer your question, Ben, or not? Um, well, I was also curious more of what the background was about how he got, why he ended up in prison. Yeah. Yeah, what the specific situation was that. Yeah, other other pastors don't believe that's their calling to be an outspoken critic of the party, so they they don't think that's part of their mission. So, but again, you can see both both sides of it. So, yeah, Ben Wells. Yeah, um, I was just kind of curious. I heard you say something about like how many millennials. Kind of disagree with maybe some of the things like you use the word playbook. Yeah. Like maybe your generation, yeah. different generations and things. Are you are you saying like strictly politically? Or are you saying like what's actually biblical? Because I think there's a very distinct difference between the two, and I think it's pretty arrogant for a younger generation to kind of look back through church history and everything like that and think we're smarter than them. Yeah. About what's biblical and interpretation. Yeah. And yeah. So I guess I was just kind of curious, like, what did you mean? Well, I'll let Nick, uh, it's more the strategy than what yeah. people believe. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would say generally within the church in terms of those who are still hanging on to orthodox view of the scriptures yeah. and yeah. That, yeah. That, that the difference, and I'm being, you know, I'm stereotyping here. I'm just, part of it's my own sort of journey as well, but um, I, there's a book I've been reading called by John Fia. He's a church historian, uh, evangelical church historian. But he wrote a book called <laughs> Believe Me. And he's the one who used that language of playbook. And he talked about in the late 70s and 80s, guys like Jerry Falwell and others who sort of formed the moral majority or the uh, yeah, moral majority, the, the Christian right, that they really set forth a playbook. And in and, and his words, again, I, I don't know how to defend this, but in his words, he would say the playbook is this, that if you elect the right president and you elect the right Congress, then you can get the right Supreme Court justices, and then you can begin to reclaim some of these things that have been taken um, away from Christians. And he would say that that was sort of a playbook that was sort of set forth through 
uh, that generation, and that's really influenced a lot of Christian thought and practice in terms of how to engage politics. I think a lot of millennials are starting to question, is that the right way to go about things? And one other view uh, that, that a lot of people are starting to think about is what some have called a faithful presence view. It, it's not quite like the Anabaptist view, but it's similar in the sense of, you know, you've you got to think about sort of just where we're at as, as a nation. A lot, of, a lot of people are starting to frame uh, the Christian community in sort of the language of being in exile. So you think of the book of Daniel. You have Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, these young uh, men who are in a completely pagan culture. And they're trying to figure out what it looks like to like, live out their faith in that environment. And so a lot of millennials are saying, guys, like, like, that's, the, that's the reality. Like, there's nothing to reclaim. And they would even question the other part of the sort of Christian playbook that was sort of set forth by the moral majority was, was saying that our country was the <coughs> Christian nation and we need to reclaim that. Now you have millennials saying, that's not true to history, number one. And, and there's nothing, you know, it's a little bit attacking the, I might be getting way too into this, but I'll, I'll just say it. Uh, it's a little bit attacking the, you know, you think of make America great again. There's a lot of people saying, what do you mean by again? Can you define, like, when was America great? And, and when you say that, who was it great for? And things like that. And so, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the rub. And I think it's primarily generational, but um, I, I think there's older, older believers who probably feel, feel that as well. So. Yeah, I guess I was just kind of coming from, like, are we talking about what's biblical in terms of morally and structurally and stuff like that, or is it kind of more like what you were describing? Yeah, I don't, I don't I think, think so. That sums it up a yeah. little bit better. Good. Let me go, Nick, to Doug just yeah. as a member, yes. and, then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll – you want to comment? And then we, we'll, 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 I had a question, but it just, oh, okay. Let's go to Nick, Doug, and Nick, then we'll, we'll close up. So, Doug? Okay. Um, and this may be taking this verse kind of, I don't, not out of context, but different application of it. Because I've, I've seen a lot of damaging relationships over the years in the church because of politics. And there's a verse, um, and I know in Corinthians, there's a, there's a place where they're talking about believers taking other believers to court. And there's a, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Mm-hmm. It says yes. sometimes it's better to be wrong to, in order to preserve that relationship. And, and to me, I think it's one of the hardest things for Americans, especially, to say, to, to kind of back down. But I think it's, as believers, sometimes it's necessary to make sure that we're preserving that relationship with the other believer rather than trying to always get our way or... Be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good yeah. observation. Yeah, good observation. Yeah, it's hard to know when, when to, sort of insist on a boundary and when to, when to not. Yeah. Okay, Nicholas, and we'll we'll close up. Yeah, I think my question is, I, you know, we talked a little bit about how there's a reality where both like political sides have these values that are. They do not be approached to the value, but the value in itself is, is consistent with the kingdom of God um, and the values that we as Christians should, um, we, we should value. Um, how would you encourage someone who approaches politics that way 
but also feels like they're, because they approach politics that way, they're now in this like tug of war between both sides and having to choose um, a set of values over here over here for a set of values over here. And so the response is, I'm just gonna check out all together because I can't make that, I can't make that choice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How would you, or would you encourage them to approach it differently? Well, I think it's hard to answer, Nick, it's a little bit like I think what Trent was saying earlier. You know, I mean, it's, it's and I, I, think, I think- I heard Trent's question earlier, so. Well, it's it's a little bit like uh, again I'm not quite sure how to approach it outside of conscience yeah. because um, you know you went through all the scenarios that people were going through in 2016 and so you know do I, I feel like I have no really good choice and so so do I vote for the lesser of two evils do I vote for again maybe the coalition that this person's bringing? Do I try to weigh, again, these you know concerns here versus positive things here? And I think at the end of the day, it, I mean, it's, it's, for me personally, Nick, I would encourage people to stay engaged. That's my personal view. But I recognize that some, from a conscience standpoint, just simply can't, can't support either and would feel like to, to vote for that individual that involves so much compromise, it violates their conscience, and they can't do it. So I, I don't want to do except to say that, to, again, talk to people, um, uh, uh, realize that, you know, again, some are gonna vote and say, I'm gonna try to move the ball three steps forward, even though I feel like I might be, it might go back one, I feel like the net gain is worth it. And so I'm going to vote because there's a net gain in my vote. Others would say, I just can't do it. I can't, I, I, I can't put my stamp on either of these individuals. So again, it's such a conscious thing that it's hard, I think, for the church to say, here's how you should do, here's how you should do it. Yeah. You know? I just have a thought on that, and it may be tilting at windmills and dreams and possibly dreams, but the problem you're expressing is the stranglehold of only two choices. And I voted for, oh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I voted for a third party just because I couldn't with good, I felt good conscience over either. And I thought if, if we're ever going to break the two party system, come on, you millennials and X's and Z's and whatever you are, break it. Always, I mean, you know, I don't know. We can't because all you old people are still voting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, I, I think as part of, you know, part of what we could at least say tonight is that this has been a struggle for all of us. Yeah. It's been a struggle for millennials. It's been a struggle for us olders. It's been a struggle for all of us in this political climate to figure out the right thing to do. And we certainly want to help each other, um, but we want to do it in a grace-filled grace environment. Mm -hmm. So uh, we really should, I, 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 let's go close up. I, 